Our scripture reading today, we have two of them from the New International Version. First, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophecy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied and I was, I, as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that the Lord have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Now from Acts 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were setting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues 
Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Pastor Heather, and I'm one of our pastors here, and it's um, a joy to be with you and to share in God's Word together. Both of these passages are so rich uh, that I wanted us to listen to them this morning and hear about this movement of the Spirit, as today in the church calendar is the day of Pentecost, the day when the church remembers, um, as in Acts 2, as we just heard, where Jesus ascends up into heaven and the Holy Spirit is sent back down to live in and on and among God's people. And the people are sent out and they prophesy, they speak God's truth. And so there's so much richness in this passage, so much powerful imagery of tongues of fire, we have dry bones, um, and you can think of all of the different songs that you know that you associate with those images. As we think about this, I've been thinking about what it Starting, starting back from this image of the Israelites in the valley of the dry bones. It's a, it's a prophetic kind of end of the world vision that Ezekiel has. Ezekiel's this prophet and God takes him in, in this vision into this valley to see these, these dry bones of the Israelites who have left their homeland, who've been in exile, who've gone, they're out in the Babylonian area. They're no longer in the promised land uh, that they that they moved into after Moses through Joshua. And there are people that have forgotten. At this point, the bones are dried up. And so I've been thinking about memory and remembering and how by the time we see these people, these bones in the valley, they're a people that have forgotten and who've been removed from God. And so let's think about memory for a second. What are some of your most visceral, tangible memories. They could be from childhood, they could be recently, but what are the memories that you think about a lot? And, and further, what are the stories that mark the memory of your family? What are the stories that get told and retold that have been handed down? The stories that get remembered when you gather together, the stories that you tell over and over that are significant. 
until this year, there were a handful of stories that I knew, and then, and then um, Clay and I have been researching some genealogy, and so we've come to learn more stories. The genealogical thing with the internet is amazing, because you can link up with all of these people online who help you to share and piece together parts of your family story. And so we're learning these things, like we had this family story of one of Clay's ancestors being born at sea, and we were able to actually find her birth certificate that says born at sea. Um, I think not in the ocean, but on a boat. Um, <laughs> but then there are the stories that we know that are more immediate, the stories that were told to us by our grandparents or our parents. One of those stories that's most significant in my family that was handed down to my brother and me and my mom and dad, um, there's all kinds of stories, but one that really stands out in the story of my family is the story of my grandfather's experiences serving in the Army Air Force in World War II. And maybe you have some of these memories too, the stories that you heard from your parents or grandparents about serving uh, during a time of great war. My, my grandfather, he, he served, he didn't really talk about it until he retired in the early 80s, which is like my whole life. Um, and he was drafted into the war as a 22-year-old in 1942. He joined the Army Air Force. He was eventually assigned as a gunner on a B-17 bomber long before any of his descendants had any plans to move to Boeing land. I had a grandparent um, who was on a Boeing airplane in a great war. And out of all the stories that we know about Grandpa's time in the service, the thing that we know that was most significant was that he was a prisoner of war. He was held by the Nazis in France, shot down over France, and taken to Austria for 22 months in a prison camp. He was only released at the end of the war as the war ended with VE Day because his captors fled, fearing for their own lives. So as I think about the story of the Israelites' exile and return, I think how my family's story is rooted in an, a time of exile and return. This is before my grandfather met my grandmother. And if he had not returned, there would be no family that followed him. And so his return was critical for the flourishing of my dad and my brother and me. Um, as I think about, like, when I was growing up and my grandpa was talking about this a lot, every year at Christmas he would find a new way to tell us about this. So in 1994, the U.S. Mint came out with a prisoner of war commemorative silver dollar. So as a 13-year-old, when I was hoping for compact discs and my own CD player, I got from my grandfather the prisoner of war commemorative silver dollar. And it shows you how little I know about coin collecting. This is like, if you know anything about coin collecting, they have proofs that come out where they encase it in plastic so it's never touched by human hands. And I found this this week when we we're packing, and I noticed that my 13-year-old self, there's a giant thumb print on the middle of my proof coin, which means that I had unscrewed it and touched this thing that you're not supposed to touch. But I got this from my grandfather, and I know that as a 13-year-old, I'm like, what is this even? Like, what am I going to do with this? I can't spend it. it. It's something I put on a, you know, on a, on a shelf. Um, and... And so I have that. And then a few years later, I think I was in college, and suddenly my brother and I opened these boxes, and I got my own B-17 alarm clock. Um, it has a little clock on the bottom and the, the little propeller spin. And I'm thinking about going off to college as a college freshman, you know, when I'm really into Titanic and romantic comedies. And I also have my B-17 bomber clock to take with me to college. But you can see within that that as my grandfather was buying us these gifts 
and he was buying them for my brother and my dad and my uncle and me. It was so important for him to share this part of his story and to have us each have a piece of it and to remember and be connected to this part of his story. And he died, um, he died in 2015. And as I pulled these out today, as we're preparing to move into our new home, and they were stored away in some box in the basement because in my 1,000 square feet of Queen Anne apartment with four, or Queen Anne house with four people, I don't have a lot of knickknack space. But I thought, you know, when we get to our new house, I want a place of prominence for these things. I want to remember my grandfather and these memories and this thing that he did, his exile and his return. So it's really important for us personally to remember our family's stories because as our grandparents and parents pass on, we are the carriers of those stories. We're the ones that remember. We're the ones that tell those stories to our children and grandchildren. As I'm sitting here with my own children in worship today, I realize they actually don't know the story yet because I haven't told them yet. They're just now old enough to understand it. And so it's my responsibility to tell this story to them and to pass it forward so that they know about their grandfather. This all, the story also matters because as I'm sharing it with you, I know that you're thinking about your loved ones who may have served or who have had a formative life experience that's impacted your family. And there's something about like war and wartime that actually connects us as a whole people, uh, that connects us as a nation, that there's a shared memory between all of us. It's not just my family's story and my grandpa's story. It's a story that's shared by your parents and grandparents and your uncles and your aunts and all of the different collective stories that everyone brings together. And I think that's so significant as we look at these passages today, because as God's talking about the nation of Israel, or as we're seeing the apostles in the book of Acts, he's not like, oh, to this one person that this one thing happened to. It's actually something that's happening to the whole community simultaneously. So as we read the scriptures, the compilers of our Bible, they had a memory They had a desire to remember not just what happened after Christ's death and resurrection, not just what happened after the Holy Spirit came, but they kept the Hebrew scriptures together. And these two stories pair together so well because we see in it that God's spirit that comes down on the day of Pentecost is not new. God's spirit was present before. Think back to the very beginning of the scriptures. Think back to Genesis 2 where God breathes into the first humans. God breathes breath. We hear that word ruach in the Hebrew, the ruach, the breath, the spirit that goes into them. That's the same word that's then used as the bones, as uh, Ezekiel prophesies to the bones and the breath goes into them. It's that same breath. And then as we come forward to Acts, as the Holy Spirit comes down on them and these tongues of fire, there's a breath, there's a wind that moves throughout the people and it's the same breath. It's the power of God coming down into our world and moving through and into people. And so in the same way that as... um, The apostles are seeing this happening in the book of Acts. They say, what does it mean? What does it mean that this breath, that this wind is coming? What does it mean that these bones come back to life? And I want to spend a few minutes of us reflecting on that together. So going back, our first scripture today in the book of of Ezekiel 
it's coming from the prophets after Judah was invaded and overtaken by the nation of Babylon. So this is towards the end of the Israelite story. They're kind of, um, we know God's created the world. He's created humanity. People have been with God. People have been removed from God. They've been in exile in Egypt. They've moved into the promised land. They have the promised land, and now they've been kicked out of the promised land because of a failure to remember God, to worship God, to know God, to honor God. They've been worshiping false gods. And after a period of time, God reaching out over and over and over and having prophets tell them the truth, they're taken out of their land again. They're taken out and they're dead for all intents and purposes. And when Ezekiel gets this vision, it's not of a vision of a bunch of people who've just been removed from home. He sees this vision of dry bones. Now think about how long, this is, you know, if you watch CSI and bones and things, maybe you're a little bit more into this. But but if you think about like, if, if a body's been out on a field of battle, we hear them referred to as an army, how long have they been there before it's dry bones? It's been a long time. Thinking of the Princess Bride when, uh, when uh, they take Wesley to Miracle Max, and Miracle Max says, ah, he's only mostly dead. You know, this isn't mostly dead. This is all the way dead. All the way dead. No people, we just have bones. There's no muscles or tendons connecting them. These people are all the way dead. So thinking about the metaphor here, if the power of the spirit and the wind represents people being dependent dependent on God and filled with God, if these bones are all the way dry and these people are all the way dead, that's how far removed from God they have become. They're not mostly dead. They're like really, 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 really dead, really dry. And in that space of being as dead as you can possibly get, God says to Ezekiel in this vision, it's not Ezekiel saying to God, can these bones live? God says to, Yahweh says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? Like, what do you think? It reminds me of how Jesus questions Peter. Like, who do you say, who do you say that I am? Like, can these bones live? What do you think? How powerful is God? Is God powerful enough that God can take dry bones and bring them back together to make an army, to make a people that can return home? And I love Ezekiel. We don't know Ezekiel's tone in this passage. Um, In my own lens of sarcasm, I interpret it one way. But we, we just know that he says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. So I'm like, Holy God is asking you, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, "Uh, you know. You know if they can. But I also see that as a declaration of faith. Like, Ezekiel saying, God, you know, you know they can live. I'm trusting in you, God, that you can do incredible things. And so then God invites Ezekiel, his prophet, into this process and says, I want you, Ezekiel, to say to these bones, to prophesy to them, dry bones. I mean, imagine how ridiculous this is. I know it's a vision and it's a weird dream, but imagine he's looking on this field, dry bones, like no one's listening. They're all the way dead. Prophesy to these bones and say, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I mean, this is a very small, it's it's a very symbolic and beautiful step up from like, you know, a toddler hosting the tea party for their stuffed animals and having a conversation with them. That's how it feels. It's just dry bones. But he's saying, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. 
What does that story start to sound like? It starts to sound like the very beginning of creation. The first person being brought up out of the clay and God breathing into them. God doesn't just create and he's done. God creates and recreates. And the people move away from God and God lifts these dry bones back up and he breathes into them again and he recreates. God says, I will put breath in you and you will come to life. By the power of my spirit, you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. What's the outcome of this? What does it mean? It means at the end of this, that once God's power is in you, you will know that God is the Lord again. So the thing that caused you to dry up was to forget When you were in your exile, you forgot, you moved away, but I'm going to invite you to remember, I'm going to breathe in you again, and now you can return. And so the breath comes in, and they come back to life, and it says a vast army comes up and stands on their feet. So son of man, he says, these bones are the people of Israel. This is the people of Israel, the people of Israel that had forgotten, that started worshiping other gods, and they've now come back. He says, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'm going to bring you back to your land. So now not only have you come back to life, I'm going to take you back to your land. Then you and my people will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I'm the Lord. I have spoken and I have done it. So there's this image of resurrection, and and that's something that we hold to in our faith, that there will be a bodily resurrection, and we see this vision coming here. And then we know, fast forward, this is at the end of the Old Testament, we know at at the end of the Gospels now that there is a resurrection, that Jesus dies and is raised again. Jesus is now ascended into heaven and sends the Spirit back down to the people. And now the Spirit is coming as tongues of fire and laying on the people and they are now prophesying, fulfilling this vision. How incredible is that? This thing that was written hundreds of years before, 500 plus years before this time, now is coming to fruition in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. And the people look around each other when they see this and they go, what does this even mean? The people in the book of Acts, they're thinking, it's nine in the morning. Why are you out on 3rd Avenue West playing the drums? What is going on? It's so early. No, they're saying like, what does this mean? It's nine in the morning. You're prophesying and you're speaking in my language. I moved here from Iran and you're speaking in Farsi. I moved here from China and you're speaking in Mandarin. What is going on? And then Peter stands up. Peter, who you remember doubted, uh, who denied, not, not Thomas doubted, Peter, who denied knowing God, who denied knowing Christ, Peter, who, who forgot, who distanced himself from God, now Peter, filled with, filled with the Spirit, raises up his voice and explains now to the people of Israel what's happening, what this means. He says, listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. No, this is what was spoken, and he goes back and he quotes from the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your, your, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And some of you are thinking, all right, do I dream dreams or do I see visions? Am I young or am I old? Which category am I in? Don't, don't worry about that too much. You will see visions or dream dreams, one or the other. Um, even, 
Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. What's it mean to prophesy? They're going to witness. They're going to say God's word. They're going to say God's truth. They're going to testify that, the, that God is at work. So we see how God's breath, God's wind connects from creation to the dry bones being revived, to Jesus' death and resurrection, to the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church, and now to us, the new creation. And through the power of God's Spirit, we as a church are called out of our own death back to life. We're called to participate in a few of these ways. The first, we're called to reconcile to be filled with God's spirit, to surrender ourselves. And we get to do that every Sunday when we come forward and worship. It's an act of surrender. We can kneel at the altar. We can take the holy cup, um, take communion and be filled with God's spirit again. And when that spirit comes into us, when we invite God's spirit to be at work in us, there's a divine power working in us. We can move from death to life. We can be revived in our dry spirits back to life so we can reconcile to God. The second is that we remember. We remember because we're healed. When we th I, think, I was thinking about this word remember in a different way because of this image of the bones. When the bones come together, they are remembered. The different parts of the body, different members of the body are re-put together. They're remembered because they're remembering who God is. They're remembering who their calling is as a nation. And now they're being put back together. There's a healing that happens. And that's what happens in us. When God's spirit comes into us, we're healed. We're healed from our unforgiveness. We're healed from our bitterness. We're healed from our pride. We're healed from our discouragement. We're healed from our doubt. God's spirit works in us and revives us. God reanimates us, not just with our own skin, but with our spirit. We're revived. And then we're brought back fully to life. We're resurrected. That's the third way. We're reconciled. We're remembered as we remember. We're resurrected, brought back to life. And when the, New, when the New Testament speaks of resurrection and new creation, it assumes that God's spirit is creating in us. Only the spirit who brought new life into the world can also bring new life in us. So it lifts us. It resurrects us. It, it re-lifts us up. And then it invites us to return, to return to God's purposes and calling. Because only as God's spirit breathes in us, the church, can we move out into God's calling and now represent what God is doing. So we're reconciled to God's spirit. We're healed in body by remembering. We're resurrected and brought back to life. We return to follow God. And now we have the ability to represent and witness to what God has done. I heard this sermon uh, preached on this passage. I see runners. There's runners coming back in, you guys. They did it. Um, I was, about a year ago, I was, uh, I was at a women's conference, and I heard a really powerful sermon on this passage of Ezekiel 37. And... Uh, movement through some of these different pieces about the healing and about the spirit of God and the power of God and the return from exile, what it means to go back again. Um, and God was really speaking to me in that. Clay and I had been in a time of prayerfully discerning what was next for us. Um, we knew that God had called me into a uh, 
to leadership in a church that God had gifted me for that and called it out. And we just didn't know quite what was next. And so we were in prayer and we were thinking about, you know, graduation's coming, where are we going? And I heard this sermon and it was like the spirit of God in this very, I've had a couple times where in, in prayer, God is, I felt like God's really speaking something in my heart in a powerful way. And it was this image of return, of return. Like the time has come for you to return to the land from whence you come. That you, something has happened. So for Clay and I, in a way, um, we've been away from our families, away from our homes for the last 10 to 15 years in ministry in the Pacific Northwest. And God's done a work in both of us that's a healing work. There's been a time of just being a little bit removed from where we grew up and our families, um, but it's been a time of healing, of therapy, of reconciliation, of building our marriage, of, um, of healing in a variety of ways, of growing and being educated, um, going to school. And I was sitting in this talk where this woman is talking about Ezekiel 37, and I was thinking about how there were these things that plagued me 10 or 15 years ago that consumed my daily thoughts, worries, and anxieties. And that in the time since, I, I don't think about them anymore. And I went, God, what What's going on? And I just had the sense that God's like, you're healed. There's childhood trauma that I had to recover from. And there was a sense of like God saying to me, you're healed. And because you're healed, now you can return. And I'm calling you to return and to bear witness to others, to share that message with others, to represent to people who might have grown up in the church but have forgotten. I want you, I felt like God was calling us into a space of moving into a valley of dry bones, out of where we were, moving into a valley of dry bones and testifying to people that have been dead for a long time that the spirit of God wants to revive them. And it was powerful. And we've been sitting with that image over and over and over for the last year. And that's a huge part of what has led us to make this big move for our family to go and plant a church in San Antonio in the Bible Belt, right? Like we think of Texas as this Bible-filled place. But as we go around the city and we're interacting with people and we're learning about the culture of the city, I'm realizing how many people are dry, how many people are desperate to know God. And God has called Clay and I for this season to return to a homeland, not my homeland, but his homeland. It will now be my new homeland. Your people will be my people. Um, <laughs> Pastor Bonnie even gave me a, some cowboy boots and a hat, so, or, and a shirt. But yeah, like, that we're going to return and we're going to prophesy and we're going to share hope and encouragement and pray for God's spirit to revive people that need revival. And so we're moving on to this new phase of God's mission for us. And my question for our congregation today is, what's next What's next for us? We've been working on this discernment process. We have this new mission and this new vision. And there's something each of us individually are called to. And there's something we're being called to as a church. What is God asking us to return to? Who is God asking us to share testimony and to bear witness to? Who is God asking us to share the message of hope and healing that we have in Christ? Is it college students? Is it... Is it your neighbor? Is it 
the people playing drums across the street very loudly that we can hear and that are reminding us the 20,000 people uh, that, r- that ran up right past our church today. Who is God calling you and your small group and your community to bear witness to? Because it's not a question of if you should bear witness. It's if you're living your life surrendered to God and filled by God's spirit, then What does it mean? It means that you will testify to the power of God. And so I pray that if that feels difficult today, that as you come forward today in prayer, that you would ask God's spirit to fill you afresh and to give you the boldness and the courage to bear witness to God this week. If it's to the grocery store clerk, if it's to the person that you see, pray for for God to give you an opportunity to bear witness to his light and his love with somebody this week been thinking too about like who who are our modern day exiles that God might be calling us to reach thinking about people that are in prison thinking about people that are struggling with chronic illness and disease people that have um, are far from their families and are in retirement communities or nursing homes that need somebody to come and visit and hold their hand and sit with them and listen to them thinking about people that are estranged from their families due to unhealthy family systems or addiction or abuse. Thinking about people all over the city that are clays my age or younger that have relocated for work and are far from parents and grandparents. I'm thinking about people with disabilities who have mobility issues that make it difficult for them to get here on a Sunday morning. Who, who is out there that's feeling dry and in exile that God might be calling you to bear witness to, to testify to, and encourage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I invite you to just open up your hands, open up your heart, and ask God this morning who God might be calling you to bear witness to. Let's pray.